listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Tom. Why is it that you and your son are so similar? Last, last Sunday, your son sat right there dead center and blessed me through the whole sermon. And uh, it was awesome. Like, how old is he? He's, uh, eight. Eight, eight-year-old deadlock eye contact like with his paper out and like amen and me and giving me the nods and like actively listening adding a few comments which were helpful uh like that's pretty awesome <laughs> he's awesome i probably yeah, right all right so uh i am glad to see everybody here this morning um as you know, we are in this series on shaping faith. Um, before I jump into that, I got a couple quick little announcement things I want to tell you about that I almost forgot about, but it's really important, okay? One of these, you're going to need to write something down so that you don't forget it. So get your writer downer out and somewhere to write or downer it, okay? Uh, before we get there, while you're getting that, um, next week, we're going to start putting uh, some uh, dividers off on the upper part of the sanctuary uh, about where that sound table booth is. And we're trying to get everybody to sit down below that kind of through the summer. It makes it a lot faster to hand communion out and serve communion out. So if uh, those of you that normally sit up high, come on down a couple of rows with us. Um, and uh, it helps me see everybody too, because I can see about here, but I can't see about there, and I like to be able to connect with everybody. So there's that. Okay, now, with your writer downers, uh, tomorrow morning, we are starting something new uh, as a church. And so, uh, like Adam said, and we remind you guys all the time, every Monday morning, we start by going through our prayer requests, and we pray for those, and we send out cards, and notes, and emails, and texts, and calls, and all that stuff. But we're gonna kind of up our game as a team and as a church family, uh, we're going to up our game on um, kind of actively praying for our community and our congregation and our staff and our leaders and, and really trying to take ground on the Palouse for the kingdom. And so one of the things we're going to do to do that is uh, starting tomorrow morning at uh, every Monday at 8.15, we are going to gather together for prayer from 8.15 to 8.45. I know it doesn't work for everybody, but if it works for you, it works for you. Like, we just had to pick a time to start, right? And so I'm not saying it'll be that way forever. Maybe we'll do it earlier in the future if we could rally more people. But for now, we're starting at 8.15 every Monday morning for 30 minutes. We're going to get together and pray. When I say we're going to get together and pray, if you need prayed for, or if you have something you want prayer for, show up. We'll pray for you. Otherwise, join us in praying. Um, we'll have different things just thrown out on cards to pray for, or you can pray for whatever you'd like. But when I say we get together and pray, we, that means when we show up, we get together and pray. It's not social hour. It's not coffee. It's not how's the weather, how's the sports. It's like we get together and we're going to pray. And at 845, we're out. Okay? So you have a right expectation. Here's where it's going to happen. We're going to do it at the ministry duplex which is right behind our church offices here in Pullman. Um, so probably everybody knows where our church office is uh, in the little strip mall Edison Center above the Safeway parking lot. The duplex that we uh, utilize for ministry is literally straight out the back door of our church office. 
And so all you got to do is go around the corner, uh, that first street of Shoemaker, uh, park anywhere in the church office parking lot or behind the church office is always wide open. There's not a lot of parking on Shoemaker. And I'll have it marked and made real obvious in the morning which one it is. It's the first place you come to. And so I'll have it all marked out so you don't need to remember an address or anything like that. So 8.15 every Monday morning, if you want to pray, come and join us to pray. Sound good? Sounded good for some of us, right? I know the morning people. I'm just teasing. Hey, um, so we are in this series on shaping faith and we're kind of winding it down. We're in this last segment where we're really focusing these last few sermons and messages on things that will help us die to our flesh, okay? And if you were here last week, then you heard me talk about the idea that dying to our flesh is a really churchy thing to say, okay? Like, you don't ever hear somebody say that out in the real world, if that makes sense. You following me? Like, um, sometimes when you're in church for a while, you start to say things that make sense in your church pocket, but they don't make sense to people in the, uh, not in your church pocket, right? So dying to your flesh is a weird thing to say just about anywhere, okay? What we mean, let me break it down. What we mean is like... Um, putting to death, bringing your selfishness to an end. Like stopping the selfish train. That's, the, that's a more plain way of saying dying to your flesh. We're, we're, another way we say it in church is dying to your sinful nature, okay? If you've been around church for a while, you've heard that kind of language. It, it means the same thing. We're talking about is dying to our selfishness, putting our, our desire to have us be the most important person that we think about, care about, want to please, like all that stuff, like just naturally, we don't even have to try. We are just like born awesome at being selfish, right? We all get an A with no effort at being selfish. And so it takes actual effort on our part and it takes the help of God at work in us to become unselfish, to die to our flesh, so when you hear us talking about things like die to our flesh, uh, die to our sinful nature, what we're talking about is uh, dying to our selfishness, becoming less selfish and more like Christ. Does that make sense? Kind of on the same page now? Okay. So this morning, the one we're going to talk about is encouragement. We're going to talk about how encouragement helps us die to our flesh, become less selfish. We're going to talk about how encouragement is um, something that is not only a good idea, but a, a godly idea. Not only is it good because it helps us become less selfish when we learn how to do it in a right way, but it also helps us accomplish the mission of Christ. Like it's a critical ingredient in order for us to be able to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. Encouragement is a chunk that's really, really not just valuable, but important. All right? So I want to get you in the right frame of mind to help us kind of track and get this ball rolling. I need to ask you some questions. And the questions, I'm going to start off with some easy ones that everybody gets to answer out loud. And then I'm going to switch to some more challenging ones that you get to answer on the inside. You follow me? Okay. So first one, is it warm in here? Yes. Some of you are not warm. That, that is the cold person right there. All right, so how about, have you ever had a bad day? 
Everybody over here is right on, like this side over here, you guys got to represent. Have you ever been discouraged to this side? Thank you. Uh, now let's kind of switch gears and get a little more personal on the inside. Have you ever felt hopeless? You can start answering them on the inside now. You guys are so good at it, you're on a roll. But you can answer them however you want. Hopeless to the point where you have those times where you start to feel like things aren't ever going to be any better, like they're not going to change, like you can't ever be any better, like you just sort of feel stuck, right? Those are some of the ways that we start to understand about hopelessness. Have you ever felt um, really discouraged to the point where you just felt like life was just kind of miserable or a relationship was really, really miserable? Have you ever been... uh, struck with or battled with and felt really depressed. And when people talk about depression that really struggle with depression, not just bad day stuff, but real depression, they talk about it as if it's like uh, uh, almost like a fog that rolls in and kind of just melts around you. And no matter what you do, you just can't seem to see your way out of it. Like you can't, you can't cheer yourself up. You can't just feel better. It, it just envelops you. And you just, it's this overwhelming thing. I've also heard people talk about it like a, like a black cloud. Like everybody in the house woke up and it was a sunny day, but the person that struggles with depression woke up and for some reason it was just stormy and raining on them only, right? Like, and just everywhere they go, it just feels like a bad day, right? I talked to a gal uh, here recently who was sharing with me and being real vulnerable about um, some inside stuff with her about what she struggled with and some of the depression and how low her lows would get. And she talked with me about how quite a while back her husband had bought a pistol and she knew that he bought it. It was no big deal. It wasn't, that wasn't the issue. And it was like, not a big deal. He just had it for fun. And then like for home protection or something. And he had it stored in their bedroom in a, in a safe place where it was away from their kids. And like he, he was doing all the right stuff, but but she knew that they had this pistol and she really, really struggled with depression so much so that she would get in these really, really low lows. And when she was in these really low lows and really struggling, she said, you know what really sucked? Is like, not only could I, it's so hard to like pull myself out of it. The thing that seems to somehow pop in my mind is where that gun is. That, that of all things you could think about, why does that have to be the thing that comes to my mind? Like, there's this spiritual battle going on. And so she asked her husband, hey, put it somewhere else. Like, I don't care that we own a gun. Just, I don't want to know where it is. Like, help alleviate that part of the battle for me. Right? Here's the thing. Like, Jesus said that things are going to be tough. Living in this world is going to come with problems. John 16, it's in your notes, but up here too. He says, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Like in this world, we'll have trouble. That's a guarantee. Like it's not a, you might, or maybe, or some days you will. It's like in this world, we'll have trouble, but I've overcome the world. And the, the thing that is, is such a, an amazing thing is that in Jesus, we also have the ability to overcome 
to persevere, to endure through anything this world can throw at us. And not just endure it or persevere it, but actually in the midst of it have joy and peace and patience and kindness and and to love other people, even in the darkest of days. Like there is something powerful and supernatural that happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and believe that through him, not only has he overcome the world, but through faith in him, we can overcome anything that this world throws at us. It doesn't mean that there won't be bad days. It means that we can still love people in our bad days, right? Now here's the challenge. We live in a world now where depression and anxiety are at all time highs. There's more people struggling with depression right now than any other thing, any other medical calamity that's out there. The World Health Organization says that depression now around the world is the leading cause of disability. So the the number one thing that's stopping people from able to work for themselves and provide for themselves, but to actually disable their lifestyle is depression. And they said that they've found through the research that men are far more likely to suffer from uh, depression than women are. Doesn't mean women don't have depression. That's just what the statistics say, that it's greater in men. And then they also found out that, that with, through all of their research that one in 13 people around the world suffers from anxiety. Like stress on steroids. That's the way I would describe anxiety. Right? And they say that, that women are twice as likely to suffer from anxiety than men are. Now, bring it a little bit closer to home. Like for us in America, in the States, not talking worldwide stuff, just talking United States stuff, we're now, um, the statistics are out, and it says that one in six Americans is now on an antidepressant of some kind. One in six are on an antidepressant of some kind. There's probably not a person in here who isn't personally impacted uh, by you or your own family or someone in your immediate family, not even going to your friend's circle, that doesn't know somebody that struggles with anxiety or depression or struggles with hopelessness. And then if you start to go outside of your family circle to your friend network or your coworkers, you're gonna have probably more people than you can count on both hands that you know that really struggle with bouts of that stuff. Like more than ever before, we live in a world that is feeling anxious and out of hope. And I think the most powerful thing we can do as believers, the most helpful thing we can do as believers is encourage our friends and family who don't know Christ to put their trust and faith in Jesus. Like that is the the most powerful thing we could ever encourage somebody to do is to put their faith in Christ. Now the thing is that there's lots more encouraging that needs to happen. You can't just go to people that, that don't know Christ, that are struggling and have anxiety and hopelessness and all this stuff going on in their life and say, hey, I just needed to, like, I need to say it really nice, but here's my way of, like, the answer is trust and follow Jesus. I mean, yes, that might be the answer, but how you deliver it matters, right? Like, there's lots of other encouragement along the way that needs to happen. You need to walk with them and care for them and come alongside them. And there's a reason the saying came up that people don't know how people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Like 
how you love people gives you the credibility to talk with them about Jesus, right? So I think the most important thing we can do for people that don't know Christ is encourage them to get to know Jesus. Now, the truth is a lot of us uh, that go to church and have been a part of a church for a long time uh, probably agree with that. Like, the, yeah, I, I agree. Like, um, if you stop and think about your life, you probably have examples in your own story, in your own life, where you think, you know, there's no way that I would be married if it wasn't for God at work in my life. My faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit at work in my life and my wife's life, apart from that, I promise you, and I'm not saying this is a story, this is testimony, I promise you we would not be married. Not a chance we would be married today had we not had God's help and the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, and, and Jesus transforming us to become more like him. And probably a lot of you can, can reflect on your life and talk about how you would have never made it through such and such, or you wouldn't be the person you are. You wouldn't be able to love your spouse the way you love them, or put up with the kid stuff that you've gone through, or deal with the job things that you've gone through had it not been for your faith in Christ and the endurance that the Spirit gives you. Like, we all have those stories where we know that it's because of God at work in us that we can endure and persevere. And then when it comes to actually seeing someone else that we care about struggling to endure and persevere, and we know that we have the answer and we've personally experienced the value of following Jesus, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in us, when it comes to actually like going, this is what it's done for me, and I see a friend that's struggling with it, and, and, and talking to him about it, we start to wimp out. Right, like we get weak chicken knees. Why is that? Why is that? Why is something that's so valuable and so important so hard to encourage someone else to do? I know for me there's a few different reasons. I, th I think probably a lot of us can relate. For me, probably the biggest thing that slows me down, even to this day, is like just rejection. I hate getting rejected. It's, it's humbling. It's like I, I, you, you tell them about something that you believe in, that you care about, that you think has the power to transform and change and, and like totally help their world. But you, you experience rejection and it's like rejection rubs up against what, right? Our pride. Like we don't like to be humbled. That, that rubs on my pride. Another thing that slows us down a lot of times I think is like the the fear of not having all the answers, not knowing what to say. Like, what if I, I talk to him about Jesus? What if I tell him that they need to know who Jesus is? Like, and, and I start to ask him and talk to him about it. And what if they start asking questions and I have no idea what the answers are, right? Like if that's the thing that stops us, from sharing our faith and sharing who Jesus is, is that we're afraid that there will be answers we don't know, then that's for sure pride holding us back. Like, heaven forbid, I don't want anybody to know that I don't know everything. Like, are we that proud? Here's a newsflash, everybody knows, right? Take, the, take a load off, we don't know it all, right? Another thing that gets in the way that hangs us up is just good old fashioned embarrassment. Right? 
like, like a time when you finally muster up the guts and the courage to share about Jesus with somebody and you tell them what's, what he has done in your life and what it's meant for you to personally follow Christ and to be a part of his body and to be a part of his church and how learning from God's word has changed the way you think and feel and care and love for other people and you just lay your heart out on the line because it's someone you care about and you know they need what you have and you lay it out there and they're like, dude, I can't even believe you believe in God. That is so dumb. And you can just feel your face flush like all the blood goes to your face and it feels like 300 degrees and you're like immediately have this humiliation and embarrassment and regret, right? I think that sometimes hangs us up from sharing our faith and sharing about our Jesus with people that really need to know who he is and what it would mean to follow him. So I think the most important thing we can do is offer godly encouragement Encourage people to put their trust and follow Jesus. For people that are following Christ, for people like most of you in this room who have a, a saving faith in Jesus and are being changed and transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and you're plugged into a church and you're, you're growing in your walk, like, do we ever need any encouragement? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I got a whole stack of notes that are pinned all over my bulletin board. I've got some that are by my bedstand. I got notes that are in a Bible. I've got some that are stuck in my backpack. Like when somebody gives me a note of encouragement, I hang on to it because there's a day, not only does it feed me when I get it, like here's how I think about godly encouragement. It's different than a compliment. Compliments are nice. They're like, how, uh, I love your new haircut, right? Like, um, that's a great compliment, right? Uh, you did an amazing job mowing the lawn. Like, way to go. It looks, looks awesome. Like, that's a compliment. Compliments are nice. It's different than godly encouragement. Godly encouragement is encouragement, like words and, and things given to lift the other person up towards the Lord. Like, purposely trying to encourage someone, like to shore them up, to lift them up towards God. And when I get godly encouragement, man, I stow it away. It lifts me up. It picks up my spirit. It fills up my heart. And then I stick it on the bulletin board because there's going to be a day when I'm struggling. And I need to go, where was that one, right? And I pull them off and I'll read it again. Like my wife has written me some pretty special little notes of encouragement that to me I hang on to like gold. Because on the days where sometimes we don't like each other. And I'm having a hard time thinking nice thoughts. I pull those back off and I'm like, this is who we really are. When we are in Christ and we are loving each other the way God loves each other, these are the things we say to each other. And it spurs me on. So I think there's a, a lot of ways that we can encourage other believers, but I want to share a few with you while we're here this morning. I'm not saying that these are the best ways. I'm not saying they're the only ways. I'm, there's a, a whole laundry list of ways that you could encourage other believers and different times when it would be so important to encourage other believers. But I want to share a few things that I think are really important times that we encourage each other in the body of Christ, all right? So the first one is uh, when your faith is weak. Encourage others when your faith is weak or when their faith is weak, okay? Um, here's what it says in Acts. He says, um, strengthening the, uh, the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. 
We know this. Jesus said this world is going to come with a bunch of trouble. We must go through a lot of hardships to enter the kingdom. Like, like we need to be encouraged to, to be reminded, to have our faith strengthened so that we stay true to our faith, to the thing that we first committed to, right? Uh, probably a lot of us in this room know of someone at some point in our life who we've seen who has come to a saving faith in Christ. They've uh, been baptized. They've started going to church. They've got plugged into a home group. They've, they've started to be changed and, and it's evidenced by like we knew them before and we know them now and we're doing the whole deal where like the person I know now is not a lot like the person I used to know. Like they're, they're doing things differently. They care about different things. Their priorities are changing. The way they love their kids or the way they love their spouse or the way they talk about their boss or their coworkers, like I'm seeing evidence that God is growing in them, this new kind of person that loves people the way God loves people. And you're seeing it at work in their life and it's encouraging and it's exciting. And then you've probably known of people that have, you've seen that happen with. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, what happened to, fill in the blank their name, right? We are like, I thought they were off to such a good start. Like, what? I wonder what happened. I wonder what happened to them. Here's what happens. Life. Life happens, right? Like some catastrophe happens in their life throws them a curveball. They, the, they get off the path. Other times it's as, it's as simple as a job change or a shift change at work and it's, it just messed up their schedule and it, and it just made it easy for them to get out of this new habit that they were developing. Other times it's something as silly as like everybody in the house was sick with the flu for three months and it just felt like no matter what, somebody was down and out and we just never could get our family to where we actually felt like leaving the house. You know, there's just sometimes those seasons where life's just challenging and hard, right? Our job in this room, our job as Christians is to come alongside those people and strengthen them and remind them about their faith that they committed to, to help them stay true to the faith. Like, don't wimp out. But here's the, here's the catch. You can go about it in the old school guilt trip way, and that's super ineffective, um, and helps people confirm their decision to stop coming to church. Let's be honest. They're like, that's what I expected was eventually I would make a little bit of a mistake and people would judge me and I'm feeling judged and this is lame and I'm not coming back. So we don't want to go down that road. Like why, why would we care to strengthen them? Why would we care to remind them of the commitment of faith? Because we love them and we care about them and we know that if they will walk the path, if they will stay tight with Jesus, their life will be different for the better, Right? And so when you know of people that started strong and sort of faded out and disappeared, you call them and you check up on them. You go have coffee with them. You have them sit at your kitchen table with you because you love them first. Because you care about them first. And then you invite them back into relationship with you and other believers and back into the fold and the family and you come alongside them. That's one of the most powerful things we can do is to encourage people who are just kind of wimping out and, and getting weak in their faith for whatever reason. Another thing we can do is encourage others when their hope is weak, right? When, when their hope is fading. I want to read this with you. Um, 
In Romans 15, four, he says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, we might have hope, right? God's word is written and intended to give us hope. Now, here's the thing. When you're having a conversation with people or you're having kind of the water cooler talk on the, you know, in between breaks at work or just coworkers or friends or whenever you're visiting with somebody, here's some things you can tell about somebody that's losing hope. They start to say things like, I've just been really struggling with my wife and it feels like nothing's ever gonna change. It's never gonna get any better. I'm just gonna have to figure out how to live with her. I mean, I'm a Christian, and so I know I'm not supposed to divorce her, but I'm gonna have to just obviously figure out how to just write it out. Or ladies saying the same type of conversation about the husband, like, as long as we've been married, I've always hoped that something would be different. I've always wished that he would catch a clue and be interested in me or care about me or do chores or whatever the thing is. And they start to say things like, but I just don't think it's ever going to change. Those kind of statements are indicators for us in this family that one of our brothers or sisters, is losing hope inside. When they can't imagine how something could ever be different, that's a sign of hopelessness. And when you hear somebody struggling with hope, God's word says that the text, the scriptures, are the antidote to hopelessness. You, you don't have to have a bunch of great answers. You don't have to have the Dr. Phil degree to like get them out of their stuff or solve their problem. All you need to have is God's word. And so when somebody's struggling with hopelessness, you can pray God's word over them. You can actually start to pray scripture for that person. You can actually uh, get, get a little bit uncomfortable Try something a little bit different and say, hey, let's have a cup of coffee. Um, I know you've been really struggling. I, you know, you've been sharing some stuff with me. I appreciate you being vulnerable with me. Like, that, that's tough. Like, I want to get together with you, and I just want to read God's word out loud with you and pray for you and send you on your way. Like, God's word has the power to bring hope way more than our good advice. And you might be like, well, I mean, so like I would actually like go to Daily Grind with them and have a cup of coffee and like open my Bible and read it in front of people and then tell them goodbye? Yep. I dare you. Right? Like if what we believe in really matters and has changed our hearts and our lives, why wouldn't we risk it? Another way we can do a uh, thing that uh, when we need to encourage other believers is when they uh, struggle to get along with each other. So I know that everybody in here thinks that, um, that Christians, when you become a Christian, that you magically start to love everybody and you all get along amazingly well after you take the Jesus is awesome pill, right? And we stop fighting and backbiting and gossiping and snaggling on each other and like we just treat each other all nice, right? Reality check, that doesn't happen right? We're still people. We still mess up. We still say things about people that we later regret. We still get in arguments and fights and, and just struggle with one another. But here's the thing. When we do that, when we do that, there is so much at stake. There's so much at stake when we, when we 
can't get along as Christians. Jesus' prayer addressed this very issue and talks about why this issue of getting along with one another is so important. Check out how he, how he words it in this prayer. In John 17, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, which is us. He says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. So the, the problem is when, when we don't get along as Christians and we aren't treating each other well and we're struggling to get along, the, the, the thing that that does better than anything we could ever do, like it's the most effective way to ruin our testimony for Jesus. When we can't get along, it says to a, a lost and hurting world around us that the thing that we say makes us love a God that we can't see and love each other who are hard to get along, it, it makes them see us from the outside in going, yeah, that's a bunch of blarky, right? Like, that's not true. I don't see it actually working. So for us in this room, when we see Christians who are struggling to get along with one another. There's more at stake than just that relationship. There's the testimony, the story that it tells about our God. And so we need to be engaged as a family to come alongside each other and go, hey, how are, what's going on? I, it seems like you just keep having this beef with this person or I, the way I heard you talk about that person, the way you talked about them kind of bugged me a little bit. Like, like if a non-Christian, uh, that's, not a, that's a dumb way to say it. If somebody that doesn't know God heard that person, heard you talking, I would be kind of embarrassed. Like, can, can I help you fix that? Like, what's going on? What's the beef, right? Like for us in this room, we need to be engaged in helping each other strive towards unity in honoring Jesus's prayer. The last thing is this, um, we can encourage others when they're too busy disconnecting, uh, isolating, right? When people start to just check out when they start to isolate and kind of retreat, do life on their own, or they just overwhelm themselves with stuff, they need encouragement. Um, take a look at what it says in Hebrews 10. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That There's some cool nuggets in here, like spur one another on towards love, spur one another on towards good deeds, not forsake getting together as some people do, like right out of the gate, like encourage people towards love. And you may be thinking like, okay, so that sounds nice, but what exactly does that mean? That's sort of a weird thing. Like, I wanted to encourage you towards love, my brother. Right? Sounds great if you say it in like an old English accent. Sounds nice. Means nothing, but it sounds nice, right? What does that actually mean? You know what it means? It means when somebody's coming to you and they're going, gosh, teenagers, ugh. Like they're giving you one of them like frustrated parent talks. And they're going, just like, I love them, but I want to kill them, but I love them, but I, like they're driving me nuts, or this one's driving me nuts, or I'm having this problem, or this coworker, or this whatever, right? They're having this struggle, this drama, this stress with another person. To encourage somebody towards love would be to, to engage in that conversation and say something like, gosh, I wonder, that's hard. Like I, I, hear, that, I hear what you're saying. Like I wonder what it would like, look like to like really bring love into that. It's like, well, that's a really abstract idea. 
But you know what it's going to start to do is it's going to start to make them think like, what, what do you mean? Well, I don't know. It just says like, I know in God's word, like we are called to love each other as much as we love ourselves. We're called to love even our enemies. Like we're in Hebrews, we're supposed to like spur each other on, like help encourage each other to, to like love each other well. Like I get that you want to kill them right now and, and you may have every right to and reason to, right? Like ugh, sometimes people are difficult, but like what if you just poured a bunch of love into your situation with that person. What, what would that even look like? And then just like spur on a conversation that starts to be about engaging that deal in a loving way. That's encouraging someone towards love. You encourage someone towards good deeds. You encourage people to, to not give up meeting together. Like we're right on the verge of summertime mode, right? Where uh, the last graduation around here is this next weekend. And then we've got you know, the months of summer bliss, long days, long nights, nicer weather. Uh, everybody is excited to spend every minute you can outside to get active, to be doing things. What we do is we end up running a lot harder, spending a lot more time uh, at stuff and doing things than we do in the winter. And so we're a little more tired. We spend a little bit more money and we stop doing the things that are really healthy for us, like being faithful to our home group and connected to other Christian community. And we skip out on church a little bit more often than we normally ever would. And guess what happens? Come fall, the marriage counseling and the parent counseling load goes through the roof in September and October because people have just sort of like turned off the stuff that's good for them and chased things that are good. It's, it's awesome to go play with your family and spend time and enjoy the summers, but not at the expense of meeting together with one another, not at the expense of staying connected to your Christian family, to, to loving each other well with the people that you're in home group with, the people that you come together on Sundays and worship and, and get fed with, when you bag out on that stuff, it takes its toll. And so here's the thing, for us in this room, our responsibility, our obligation is to look out for people who are bailing out on meeting together with their family. Is it a big deal that somebody like misses a Sunday? Absolutely not. I plan on missing a few this summer, boating and playing with my family and doing some camping, right? It's good to have R&R. It's not good to bail out for three or four weeks in a row. It takes its toll. And so for us in this room, when you know of someone who you're like, I used to always see them at second service. They always sat right next to me and we always talked to each other, but I haven't seen them in like three weeks. Your job is to Facebook stalk them and figure out how to get a hold of them, right? In a nice way, you get what I'm saying? And check up on them, okay? Check up on them. It's not the job of the pastor to do every drop of pastoring and shepherding. It's our job as a family to look out for our family. You guys with me? Can we be committed to do that as we roll into the summer as there are people that that uh, bounce and get out of the rhythm and out of the habit, can we as a family be committed to check up on each other because we care about each other? You guys good with that? All right, we're gonna wrap it up. Let's get some communion served. As we serve communion, uh, if you're new with us at Real Life, we have what we call a open table, and that means that anybody that wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is welcome to have communion with us. And uh, just hold on to the elements, and we're going to serve them together, um, or we're going to take them together in just a couple of minutes, all right? 
So we've got just a couple weeks of home group stuff left, and then we're going to switch into kind of summer mode. But for home groups this week, here's some stuff we want you to be thinking about and talking about in your home groups. Uh, they're in your notes, and they're up here. Share the names of people you want to encourage to truly follow Jesus. Take time in your group to actually um, pray for that person, okay? So when we're getting together in our groups, we're talking about the people that we really want to share about Jesus with. We really want them to know what it would look like to follow Jesus. And then we're sharing those names and then we're actually stopping and taking time to pray together as a home group. Not just like talking about the people that we hope someday will know Jesus. We're actually like gonna put our, put our action hat on and pray for them. All right, next one is... Uh, Take turns reading the various passages that we went over today um, and uh, talk about which one is applicable to you personally. So of the different ways to encourage or the different seasons or times to encourage other people when their faith is weak, when their hope is weak, when they're struggling with one another, right? When they're thinking of kind of bailing out on getting meeting together, like which one of those is really applicable to you and why did it stick out to you? Next one. Uh, what are some of the obstacles that stop you from encouraging other believers? Um, where do you find selfishness in you that needs to die? So like those ideas of when it comes to encouraging other people's, like other people who are Christian, what about that is hard? And why is it hard? Like try and root out and like have some transparent discussion about like, to be honest with you, here's why. Those are great conversations in your home group. Last one. Who do you know to be an excellent encourager and how can you learn from them? So probably all of us in this room, if you were like, hey, when you think about encouragement, is there somebody that you know that's just really good? Like they always have a good word to say. They, they just build people up. You, you, you can't be around them without feeling encouraged. And, and you'd be like, oh yeah, that's my aunt or that's this lady that I work with or that's, you know, my neighbor's brother's cousin, you know, whatever. You'll all have somebody. What would it look like if you could invite that person to lunch or get on the phone with them if they're distant and just say, hey, I'm trying to learn about encouragement. Can I pick your brain? I think you're amazing at it. Number one, it would bless them to hear that you think they're amazing at it. And then have a conversation and ask them about encouragement and just see what God doesn't show you through that conversation. So we're gonna finish this morning with communion. Um, it's something that is a huge encouragement to us as believers because we get to remember each and every week that what Jesus did on the cross is significant and substantial and transformational for us as we have a reminder that through faith in him, our sins are forgiven. The ultimate consequence from sin has been, has been removed. We've been pardoned from death because of what he did and followed through with on the cross. And so this morning as we finish up, let's remember that and be grateful and encouraged that Christ followed through with the plan the Father gave him. And remember that on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. He says, often as we get together, let's eat this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup and he told him that the cup represented the new covenant, which was his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So as often as we drink this, let's remember that. Let's pray. God, we love you. 
And we just are so grateful that you give us so much encouragement through your word to, to stay strong and to persevere and to not forsake rallying and being together. Thanks for your word and thanks for your son. In his name we pray, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.